So John's, John, and we're going to look at chapter one. It's great to see students back, or uh, possibly here for the first time. If you're, if you're here, it's great to have you amongst us. We do hope that uh, you enjoy the meeting and you feel really welcome. And uh, you meet with God, most of all. I'm going to be saying more about that in a moment. Um, we're going to read John, uh, chapter one, from verse 43. Um, it says, the next day, this is after Jesus has called his first disciples, the next day Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, we found the one that Moses uh, who wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth? Can anything good come from there? Nathanael asked. Come and see, said Philip. When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said of him, Here is a true Israelite in whom there is nothing false. How do you know me? Nathanael asked. Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Jesus said, You believe, because I told you I saw you under the fig tree. You shall see greater things than that. He then added, I tell you the truth. You shall see the heavens open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. So we're going to look at this passage and uh, especially focus on uh, Philip and uh, on Nathaniel and how Jesus relates to Nathaniel and how really Jesus is operating in the power of of the Holy Spirit in his relationships with Nathaniel. It's not just on a kind of, oh, how are you, nice to meet you level. Um, there's more going on than that, and we'll, uh, we'll see that in a moment. Nathaniel is invited uh, to meet Jesus by Philip. Philip has already been uh, called by Jesus, and uh, Jesus finds Philip. He says, come and follow me. But Philip doesn't just think, oh, well, okay, I'm, I'm going to follow Jesus, that's it. Philip has obviously... Uh, got this, this mate, Nathaniel, who he knows. He's thinking, well, where's Nathaniel? Nathaniel's going to miss out on all of this. The excitement that's building. So Philip goes and finds Nathaniel. And he says, uh, oh, come on. We found the one that Moses was writing about. We found the one uh, that's written in the prophets. Uh, it's Jesus of Nazareth. He's the son of Joseph. He's, uh, you know, he's here. Philip is excited about what he's found. And so he thinks, I must go and tell Nathaniel about this. And um, I would encourage us to be like Philip. Philip thought, I'm going to go and tell my friends. This isn't going to be the main thing that we're going to be looking at, particularly this morning. But just this morning, as I, was, I was, as I was looking at this passage again, I just thought, actually, are we people who go and say to our friends, the people we care for, hey, come and see Come and see who this Jesus is. Come and see what it is that I've discovered. Come and see what's going on. We may very well just think, oh, it's fantastic, is this? We can come to church, we can worship God, we can know God in our lives. But there are people who God wants us to go and just ask. People like Nathaniel. People who aren't particularly even necessarily going to be that open to start off with Nathaniel certainly wasn't. We'll see that in a moment. But people who God's saying, actually, why don't you just go and say, come and see. There are many opportunities that we have 
in our lives. We've got there's, there's things that are organized as a church, but there's things that we might have in our, in our day-to-day lives, day-to-day workplaces, where maybe there's that opportunity. I'm not saying force the issue, but maybe there's an opportunity to say, hey, why don't you find out about this? And maybe someone says to you, well, what, were, what were you doing yesterday then? I was, at, I was at church. Why, why don't you come and see? Now, obviously that's taboo. You know, you say that how you want, but why not come and find out? Why not come and find out? Why not get some leaflets? Next week, we're going leafleting again around the area. Why not invite people? Come and see. Come and see who this Jesus is. Come and see what it is that we've discovered. People may be cynical. People may be negative. Nathaniel was. Nathaniel's response was, Nazareth, can anything good come from Nazareth. He, he picks up on, on a little detail, really, doesn't he? Philip's all excited. Philip's going, oh, it's the one Moses wrote about. It's the one the prophets spoke about. It's Jesus of Nazareth. Nazareth? Nazareth? Can't be. Can't be, any, can't be Nazareth. Nothing good can come from Nazareth. Philip um, could have easily been discouraged at that point. Well, come and find out, he said. Wasn't discouraged. Nathaniel, not too keen. Not too keen. His, his day's been disturbed, really. And uh, he thought nothing good was going to come from Nazareth. He had perceptions, preconceived ideas, prejudices about it. Nothing good can come from there. Maybe we have prejudices as well. Maybe we have ideas about what God is going to be like. If God shows up, what's he going to be like? Maybe we have ideas about what the church is like. Perhaps you're visiting here today and you've thought, oh, someone's invited me along to church. Oh, I know what it's going to be like. Oh, I, just, I just know it's going to be a real drag through the morning. You might have ideas about what you're going to encounter, but God may have very different ideas. Nathaniel, he was wrong. He was wrong about Jesus. He was wrong and he found out that as he went with Philip. I would encourage you, if you've got ideas about what God is like, if you've got ideas about what church is like, if you've got ideas about what Jesus is like, that are kind of, oh, well, I'm sure it's that. Be open to being proved wrong because there's a wonderful thing that could come into your life in the form of God. Um, It's amazing. Let's have a look at what happened with Nathaniel. Nathaniel then goes with Philip, and uh, he responds to Philip's invitation, come and see, come and find out for yourself. He goes, he finds out for himself. And Jesus sees Nathanael approaching. Like, like I've said, Jesus doesn't approach this in just a kind of formal way. Oh, oh so you're, you're, uh, you're Philip's friend, are you? Okay, right, yeah, I'll, I'll find out a little bit about you. Jesus comments on Nathaniel, and he comments because of what the Holy Spirit has done in him. First of all, he comments on his present situation. He comments on who Nathaniel is. It says in verse 47, when Jesus saw Nathaniel approaching, he said of him, here is a true Israelite in whom there is nothing false. Here is a true Israelite in whom there is nothing false. He speaks something about Nathaniel, even though he's never met him. But he's he's commenting on who he is. He's commenting on his character. He's not deceitful. There's nothing false about him. He doesn't tell lies. Now, interestingly, he's talking about being a true Israelite. Well, Israel um, was the name that was also given to Jacob. 
And uh, for those who were here a few weeks ago, we were looking at Jacob and how deceitful Jacob was. He was not a nice guy. And uh, Jesus is saying, well, you're a true Israelite. You're not like Jacob. You're not a deceiver. There's nothing false about you. He's speaking some truth about him that the Holy Spirit has revealed to him. He couldn't know that otherwise. He's not even had a conversation with the guy. But he's heard something from God, and so he's speaking it out. And he's, he's bringing words of encouragement to Nathaniel. And it seems to soften Nathaniel. Nathaniel, well, I suppose it depends how you take it. Um, I suppose you could take it as, as Nathaniel going, oh, how do you know me? But I don't actually think he, he was responding like that. I think it's more likely he was responding and going, how, how do you know me? How, how do you know this about me? You're speaking truth about me? You're saying I'm, I'm a true Israelite? How do you know me? His interest has been awakened. He's thinking, well, this, this guy's a bit unusual. He's not the, he's not the run of the mill. He's not responding to me, re, uh, relating to me in the normal sort of way. People have expectations in how we're going to be with them if we're a Christian. If we're a Christian and someone knows that we're a Christian, people will just have these expectations. They will think that we're going to judge them. I remember um, when I was a student, I uh, did ballroom dancing before it was fashionable. And um, <laughs> I had this ballroom dancing partner. We just, we just met at the university, so the, everyone just paired up. Didn't know, didn't know her before, and, and there she was. I was partnering her every week, and uh, I, I got to know her, and uh, you know, spent spent time with her, got, got friendly with her, and um, after a while, I realised that um, that she was uh, a homosexual, she was a lesbian. Now, um, I didn't comment on that, but I could tell that she was wary about me to some extent because I was a Christian. And she'd not even mentioned this to me. It went on months and months and months, and it didn't even come up in conversation. And we got to know each other quite well. And I thought, she's not saying because she thinks I'm going re- to judge her. She thinks I'm going to re- react to her. She thinks I'm not going to want to know her. And it was only when uh, we'd, we'd got to know each other for a long, long time that she, she said, well, actually, I, you know, I just want to let you know this, this about me. And she's obviously taking a lot of courage to say this from her perspective, you know. And, and I just said, well, I'd say I'm not speaking to you again, then. But I, I said it as a joke. <laughs> that is what I said. <laughs> but she knew I was joking. And, and it was fine. But people have ideas about what you're going to say about them. Now, that's not to say, oh, let, it doesn't matter, sin. Let's forget about it. Let's just welcome people. Let's just be nice to everyone. Let's, let's ignore sin well, no, God doesn't ignore sin. God doesn't ignore sin. But neither is the first thing that we want to be saying to people words of judgment over them. Oh, I've seen, you know, Jesus has had things revealed to, Nathan, uh, to him about Nathaniel. Now, presumably, the Holy Spirit could have revealed other things about him. Nathaniel was a sinner the same as anyone else. Maybe Jesus could have said, actually, I saw you. He might not have said, I saw you sitting under the fig tree, which was probably when he was studying the scriptures. He might have said, ah, well, I saw you. You thought you were alone when you were doing that thing. But I saw you. I know about you. He could have brought a word 
of judgment. He could have brought a word of condemnation at that point, but he didn't. He brought a word of encouragement to him. There's plenty of time for God to reveal to people that they're sinners. God will do that, and, and you know, that, that is important. It's important that we don't shy away from that, but let's encourage people. Let's welcome people. Let's speak encouragement to them whilst not soft-soaping the issues as well. People expect things. Let's surprise them. Christians can become famous and known for what they don't do rather than what they do. Christians can become known for what they disapprove of rather than what actually is positive. So people can say, oh, oh yeah, Christians. Yeah, they're the ones. They're the ones who, uh, who don't drink, aren't they? They're the ones, oh, they, they don't like sex. They're not into sex. Well, if that's the attitude that people are getting, that needs to be got over. Now, obviously, people get misunderstandings. People get misunderstandings about things. So people saying, oh, you know, Christians, Christians aren't into sex. Well, actually, you know, they've not seen the truth. They've not seen the reasons behind things like that. They've not seen the reason why um, sexual, um, sexual expression is for husbands and wives exclusively. Because that is a foretaste of the exclusive covenant relationship that we have with God, with Jesus. Jesus the, and his bride, the church. And, and Jesus is jealous for his bride and he wants us to give ourselves uh, totally to him and not to go around other, any other idols. And so we devote ourselves exclusively to him. And there'll, be, and there'll be pleasure coming in heaven as we know Jesus and as, as the relationship is finally consummated, as, as he comes and lives with us and we come and live with him, will there be pleasure and joy which is far greater than anything that we can have in terms of physical pleasure on this earth. But that expression for husbands and wives is a foretaste of that. It's amazing. It's probably the most amazing physical experience and spiritual experience that we can have with another human being because it's a foretaste of what is coming in heaven. Now, you can't explain all that. People just think, what's that about? In fact, I can, I can see uh, people with children here now thinking, oh, great, thanks. Now I've got to explain all this one. <laughs> when I preach this afternoon and my kids are there, I'll give a different example. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but we can become famous for the negatives, can't we? People can think, oh, Christians, they're just anti-things. Let's change people's perception. That's what Jesus did. He changed the negative impression that Nathaniel had already got of Jesus. Oh, Nazareth. That place. Jesus began to change it. He began to show something of God. He began to move in the power of the Holy Spirit. It was a supernatural insight. And uh, God gives us those today. We can have supernatural insights with people. People who we know already, God can reveal things to us about them. People that we don't know, we can meet them. If we're open to God, it's the same Holy Spirit. It's the same Holy Spirit that is working in us, the church, God's people today. We've got access to the Holy Spirit if we're a son of God. If we're a Christian, we can be baptized in his spirit. If you've not been baptized in the spirit, I would, you, I would encourage you, you're missing out on so much that God has got for you. It's part of the package. It's part of the deal. 
talk to someone, say, oh, I want to experience this myself. I want to have the Holy Spirit living in me. I want to have the Holy Spirit working in me and speaking to me and revealing things to me so that I can can live for God far more fully and far more in terms of what he wants us to do. God can speak revelation about people. Now, uh, some of you will have heard a few weeks ago, I spoke about uh, a, a woman that I met and uh, I asked her how she became a Christian. And she told me this amazing story, which was full of the Holy Spirit's revelation for her. Now, I'll, I'll repeat it. So I apologize to those who have already heard it. But it's a good example. It's better than any of my examples. And I want some good examples for myself. But it's better than any I've got at the moment, so I'll give it. This woman who I met uh, was in the Philippines. She was working with, um, with prostitutes. Um, helping get them out of prostitution and come into the kingdom and come and be followers of Jesus. And um, I said to her, how did you become a Christian? She said, well, it was back in England. I became a Christian. I was, I was uh, a troubled teenager. I, I, I got involved in, in, in drugs. Um, I, I got involved in heroin. I, uh, I, I was rebelling against my parents. I, I was just so uh, destructive. The relationship broke down. I was living rough. I just dressed in black all the time. I was like this goth, uh, just this hardened exterior that, you know, no one could, oh, I thought no one could break down. I, it was there to protect me. She said, and then one day I was at the doctor's. And I was at the doctor's and this woman came across in the, in the waiting room and said, is your name Sarah? And she said, oh, I thought, yeah, yeah, it is Sarah. I thought, maybe you know me from somewhere. Maybe you're a friend of my parents. She said, oh, is your, um, is your mum called, uh, called Janet and your dad called Keith? She said, oh, yeah, yeah. She thought, oh, that, that must be it. Do you know my family? How do you know me? No, I don't know you, said this woman. God has just, I'm a Christian. God has just told me those things. She told me, he's told me your name. He's told me the name of your mother and father. And he's, he's told me also, and he told me those to confirm to me to say this next thing to you. He said, will you come to invite you to come and live with me and my family? Come and live with us. And this Sarah just said, well, I was blown away by that. <coughs> but this woman knew my name, and she knew the name of my mum and dad, so I was kind of thinking, well, and I'm living rough anyway. So I said, yes. And I went and lived with this family. She said, I was still a bit cynical about it. Oh, I was still thinking, these are a bit weird people. But, but something's going on, so I went and lived with them. I'll tell you the rest of the story in a moment. <laughs> but... It's a word that comes that just speaks about who they are. Not anything amazing, just their name. Is this your name? With Jesus, it's, oh, here comes a man. Here comes a true Israelite in whose nothing's false. With Sarah, it was this woman, Christian, normal church in the UK. Is your name Sarah? Is this the name of your mum and dad? Words that the Holy Spirit has given them, but yet the conversation is on a wholly different level to the conversation that many people have. We can be part of that too. It wasn't as though, sometimes you, know, sometimes you see these things and you think, oh yeah, well that was in the Philippines, or that was happening in there. But no, this story, yes, the woman was in the Philippines, but she, this happened in the UK. This happened in England. It happened in a town in England. And it can happen here, because it's the same God. And we can start bringing encouragement to people as well. Even if, it's, if you think, I don't know what to say. Well, even if it's just something that you have seen in them, 
You know, don't, don't make it too complicated for yourself. Some of us were hearing that the other week. Just bring some encouragement from what you have seen in someone's life. Even what you've observed if you've not spoken to them. And then God might give you other things. He might just reveal things to you. You don't have to super spiritualize it. And God is telling me this. No, just a normal conversation. But God can just drop things in which people might think, oh, how do you know that? What makes you say that? Well, funny, funny you should say that. That happened, that happened. Someone said that to me earlier. It's just words. It's just being open to God. And God starts the work in things. And then the Holy Spirit can reveal more. Uh, with Jesus here, the Holy Spirit revealed something else to Jesus. So Nathaniel says, how do you know me? Jesus said, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. So Nathaniel's somewhere else in the town. You know, Jesus is with Philip. Philip says, I've got to go and, and find Nathaniel. Is that all right, Jesus? Yeah, I, I, I'm sure he'll want to meet you as well. And, and Jesus is thinking, Nathaniel. And he, he sees something of Nathaniel. Oh, Nathaniel, yeah. He's sitting under a tree. He's sitting under a fig tree. God revealed something to him about him. And Jesus is speaking words to Nathaniel then and revealing something again. Nathaniel's thinking, how could you see? How did you know? Something else that is confirming. This woman, Sarah, she lives with this uh, family for a while. And then on her birthday... They go to a, uh, a concert. The family say, look, it's your birthday, but we're going to this concert. It's by a, a Christian singer. She's called Marilyn Baker. Marilyn Baker uh, is a blind, I'm assuming she's still around. She's a blind Christian uh, singer. She plays the piano and, uh, and tours and does concerts. The family went to see her. Sarah thought, well, yeah, I'll go along. Yeah, okay. So she goes along. In the middle of this concert, Marilyn Baker stops. And she says... There's someone here who God is wanting to speak to. There's someone here, and God knows everything you're into. And you're thinking, God doesn't want to know me. You've hardened yourself to God. But, but God knows all about you. And he's calling you. He wants you to come and to know him. And to know what it means to, to love him. And he says, you're to wear the red jumper. Bit of a random word. You have to wear the red jumper. This woman, Sarah, says, said to me, that day on my birthday, the daughter of this family had given me a jumper. It was red. Big picture. Winnie the Pooh. <laughs> she said, thanks very much. She said, but you know, I'm a goth. Goths don't wear red Winnie the Pooh jumpers. But Thanks. But then this woman, who doesn't know her, can't even see. Can't even see or there's someone there wearing black. She just thinks, red jumper, you have to wear the red jumper. So she speaks it out in obedience to God. And it unlocks this situation. Sarah's thinking, man, God, God's here. Well, you would, wouldn't you? <laughs> there's no denying it. There's no persuading. There's no, oh, have, have you thought about... Um, the doctrine of this, that, or the other. Have you, have you considered, you know, that's all very valid. That's good to do that. It's good to look at the issues. We're doing that with Alpha. That's great. But, but God suddenly unlocks the situation. And this woman is just thinking, God's here. God knows me. She gave her life to Jesus that day. 
She gave her life really because of two things. I mean, obviously she found out more about what the gospel was and what it meant to, to repent of her sin. But the two things that God had said to her, I know your name. I know your name. I know you. And then a, reass- and then a, a reiteration. I know you, but I love you. I want you to come to me. I've got better things for you. I've got different things for you. You're to wear the red jumper. You're, the, you're to wear it. You're going to change. Her, her attitude changed. Nathaniel's attitude changed. Nathaniel's response when Jesus says this is, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. He's gone in two sentences from Nazareth. Can anything good come? So, ooh, how do you know me? So, you are the son of God. Because the Holy Spirit has been at work and has been revealing things. He's open. And then Jesus prophesies about the future. And Jesus says, yeah, and God's got a future for you as well. You shall see. He said, you're believing just because I've, I've said I saw you. Because God revealed something to me. Simple fact. That's what you believe because of that. You're going to see a lot more than that, mate. It's going to get good. He said, you are going to see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. You're going to see that. Again, referring to the story of Jacob, probably. Who, who knows what Nathaniel was reading on the tree? Maybe he was reading the story of Jacob as well. I don't know. It could have been. We don't know that. But Jesus is saying there's so much more that you're going to come into. You're going to see loads. It's going to be great. Come follow me. Come on. And Nathaniel becomes one of Jesus' disciples. It's a simple hope that is spoken into his life, a prophetic thing. Sometimes we can get confused, can't we? Is it, is it prophetic? Is it a word of knowledge? What we had here, there's words of knowledge. Is it prophetic? Is, it for, is that for the church? Is that for, look, who cares? This is God speaking. We want God to work through us, don't we? I hear stories about, from this Sarah girl, I read them in the Bible, but I, when I hear them as well, I just think, I want that. I want to see that happening with me. I want God to use me like that. I want to see that happening in the church. I want to be able to tell story after story. I don't want to keep telling a story about someone I met over 10 years ago now. You know, it's a great story. It's 10 years old. What about now? What about, what's today's story going to be? What's God going to do today? God can use each one of us very easily if we're open to his spirit. He'll just speak things. We need to take courage. We need to be bold. We need to step out and maybe say things. But we can do it in a way that isn't, God has said this to me. You know? But God is wanting to use us in that. A very simple prophetic thing that that Jesus brings here. If if it's referring to what he's been reading, you're going to see this happen in your life. With Andrew and Simon, they're fishermen. He didn't come up with something complicated, did he, about the future? He said, you know what? You're going to be fishers of men. You're fishermen now. You're going to be fishers of men. If Jesus kept it simple, we can keep it simple too. And it changes lives. Simple things. It's not a formula. But don't we want to have our meetings and our encounters with people characterized by the Holy Spirit's activity? Isn't that what we want? If we know God, if we love God, if we've got the Holy Spirit in us, surely... 
We all want God to be moving powerfully through us. That's what we, that's what we long for. That's what we seek. That's what we pray. It's to be everyday life. Not just for our meetings. This, was, this wasn't Jesus in the synagogue. This was Jesus just wandering around the streets. Meeting Philip. Hey, Philip, come and follow me. Oh, yeah, Nathaniel. Go and get Nathaniel as well. Just conversations with people. People you come across. People you come across in your work. People you come across in your school. Everyday life. And there's far greater things promised. Nathaniel, you're going to see greater things than this. Well, he did, didn't he? If you read through the rest of John's gospel and uh, just take that gospel, there's many, many things that Jesus saw. Many people don't even class what has happened to Nathaniel as a miracle. As they're looking, they say, oh, there's seven miracles, there's seven signs in John's gospel of things. Some people don't even count that as a miracle. But seven things that, that Nathaniel saw that are recorded. He saw so many more. He saw Jesus turn water into wine. He saw Jesus heal an official son from a distance. He wasn't even there. He saw healing at a pool, someone who was paralyzed and had been paralyzed for 38 years. And then Jesus came and healed. He saw 5,000 people with no, very little food. He saw them all fed and plenty left over. He saw Jesus walking on the water. He saw Jesus heal someone who was born blind, had never even seen, and yet he gets given eyesight. And he saw Jesus raise Lazarus from the dead. It's kind of getting better and better, isn't it? It starts off, a little word, ah, there's far more to come. Jesus knows what's coming. He knows, he knows he's got things he can do because he's got the power of the Holy Spirit working in him. He says that it's going to be good. It's going to be good. Come along. Come follow me. Nathaniel doesn't need a second bidding, does he? He's not going back, I'll go back to my tree. I'll go back to my tree. I've got my book. I'll sit and read. He's there. He wants to be with Jesus. We're promised the same. You know, we, many of us, most of us, have made a decision we're going to follow Jesus. He's come into our lives. He's changed our lives. Maybe not in a, a dramatic way, as we've just been hearing about, but he's changed our lives, and he's filled us with his spirit. And he's got adventures for us. He's got things he wants for us. He doesn't want us to go back and sit under a tree and just, just be like, oh, I'll just be on my own. I'll be on my own. I'll study the word. But it's not going to relate to anything else. Yeah, study the word. Know what God says. Use it to speak to people. Use it to edify yourself. Use it to build up the church. Jesus promises us in John 14. He promises his disciples and he promises us in John 14 and verse 12. Let's read from verse 11. Believe me when I say that I'm in the Father and the Father is in me. Or at least uh, believe on the evidence of the miracles themselves. You see, the miracles, they're important. I tell you the truth. Anyone who has faith, anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing. He will do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father and I'll do whatever you ask in my name so that some may bring glory to the Father. You may ask me for anything in my name and I'll do it. He's saying here, this is after all these miracles, he's saying, you believe on those. Actually, you're going to do even more. It doesn't stop here. I'm going back to the Father. I've got to die 
I've got to die and, be, and I'll be raised to life and I'm going to go back to the Father. But that's not the end of the story because God's going to provide his Holy Spirit and it's not like you'll go back to the simple stuff, but you'll do these sort of things and you'll do even greater. You think, how? How can I do greater than that? How can I do greater than raise someone from the dead? I don't know. But Jesus says it. Some, some people, some commentators have taken that passage and they've taken that question and they've said, well, of course, people can't do greater than that. What could be greater than that? Therefore, what Jesus was meaning was they would tell more people about Jesus than Jesus told. No, he didn't mean that. He's talking about miracles. He's saying believe on the evidence of the miracles. The miracles aren't part of it. The miracles aren't like... It's not like Jesus is saying, this is my message I've got to you. And by the way, just so that I can keep your attention, I'm going to do a few tricks on the side. He's not doing that. The miracles are part of the message. They're an essential part of the message. They're not an optional extra. It's not like you can say, oh, well, I'll, I'll have the gospel. I'll have them. Um, you can preach about sin and repentance and new life in Christ. Um, but I'm not so sure about the Holy Spirit. Um, that was probably just for Jesus' day. Um, and and we've, we've, we've got enough. That, that'll do. No. Jesus is saying, believe on the evidence of the miracles. He does say, um, somewhere else, and I, I can't remember where, he does say, you know, fantastic, those who don't even see the miracles and believe, even better. You know, your, your faith, yeah, fantastic. But it's not as though he's saying the miracles aren't important. They're part of the message because Jesus is proclaiming that the kingdom is coming. The kingdom is here. It's advancing. And you're seeing greater and greater things. Why, why do the miracles get more and more impressive as they go on? Why does he say you'll see even greater things than these? Because the kingdom is coming in and it's coming nearer and nearer and nearer. And finally, it will come in fulfillment when Jesus returns. So we're getting closer and closer. So it's getting more and more exciting. Because we're seeing greater and greater things happening. It's not like, let's just go back to the simplest. No. You'll see even greater things than these. That's for us, church. That's what he's saying to us. Don't have expectations of, I'm going to come to a meeting and probably not a lot is going to happen. Come and think, what's God going to do this week? Because it's going to be better than last week. Because we're a week further on and the kingdom is here. And we're going to take hold of it. Let's believe for it. Paul has the same attitude. Paul in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 5 says, and Paul's a great preacher. He's a great theologian, isn't he? He wrote, he wrote most of the New Testament. And, and when you read it, you think, God, oh, man, this guy's mind. It's amazing. Now, obviously, he was inspired by the Holy Spirit, so it's the Holy Spirit. It's not just him being clever. But, you know, he's getting some good stuff here, isn't he? You think, is he just going to focus on that? Is he just going to be a teacher? Is he just going to be a theologian? He says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 5, Our gospel came to you, not simply with words, but also with power with the Holy Spirit and with deep conviction. And he says, you know how we lived among you for your sake. And he goes on uh, about that. But obviously, he was preaching 
the truth about God. He was speaking theological truths that maybe people had to grapple a bit with to get hold of. But there were miracles as well. It was just the same. It's not just Jesus. It's not just Paul. It's not just Peter. It's not just the apostles. It's for us. It's for us. It's the normal Christian life. It's meant to be because God's kingdom is advancing. So as we launch two congregations, as we launch the congregation here and the congregation uh, in the north, based at Shycliffe at the moment, what are they going to look like? It's a good opportunity, isn't it? When you start something new, you can reevaluate because you think, oh, well, things maybe have got into a rut after a while. You know, we've got into a certain way of doing things. How are we going to, what we're going to see? What are we wanting our meetings to be like? How do we want our meetings to be characterized? Well, I would say we cannot be satisfied with having meetings where we have good preaching, where we have great music, modern songs, electric guitars, a band, where we have friendly people, everyone gets a good welcome, hopefully. That, that can't be it. That can't be it. We're not just looking for seeker-sensitive services. I don't know what that means, really, seeker-sensitive. People, uh, people say it, and you think, oh, yeah, seeker-sensitive. We better be seeker-sensitive. What does it mean? Sometimes it, I think probably sometimes it just means let's not have anything too radical happen. Let's not, let's not get too excited about things. You know, people think we're weird. People think we're, we're some sort of freaks. They'll, they'll, they won't want anything else to do with us. Now, we've been called to see the kingdom advance. We've been called to see the powers of darkness destroyed. We've been called to this city, which is in ruins. It's the, the equivalent of a ruined city that, that some of the prophets were prophesied, uh, prophesying over, like Isaiah. And we've been called to see the ruined cities restored for God and the kingdom brought about. That doesn't happen by just being nice to people. It doesn't happen just by having nice songs. It doesn't happen even just by good preaching, although that is an important part. It's a key part, but it's not the end. It's not just that. We want to see the Holy Spirit move. Matthew 11 and verse 12, Jesus says, the kingdom is forcefully advancing and forceful men take hold of it. Let's be people who forcefully take hold of this. Let's, let's grab hold of heaven and pull it down to earth because that's what's happening. The kingdom of heaven is coming to earth and it will come finally and we as God's believers can say we want to take hold of that. We're going to take it and we're going to bring it into our situations. I'm going to pull it down. I'm going to bring it into our church meetings. We're going to bring it into our workplaces. We're going to bring it into our schools. We're going to bring it into our neighborhoods. We're going to bring it because that is what we are called to do as God God's people, because we are going to take hold forcefully of the kingdom of God. That's what we were called to. That's what God called his disciples to. That's what he's calling us to. Let's, let's have nothing to do with religion, with boring old religion. That's what people expect when they come to a church meeting. If you're new here today and you haven't been to many meetings, you probably expected religion. You're probably thinking, I'm being a bit weird, saying let's have nothing to do with religion. What's that mean? Surely Christianity, that is religion, isn't it? No, it's not. That's not what Jesus brought about. Jesus brought about a dynamic relationship with him. That he could bring us into a living relationship with the Father by the Holy Spirit empowering us. That's what he wants for us. Not religion, 
not religion so that we take a, a, a this supernatural Jesus and say, okay, up you go, on your cross. We'll have a nice cross there. We'll, we'll, we'll even have Jesus on it, just to remind us. Well, often we do that. We leave Jesus on the cross. He's not on the cross anymore. He's risen. He's ascended into heaven. He's sent us his Holy Spirit. He's alive. He's at work in us. We're not leaving him on the cross. We're not worshipping some dead, uh, dead, dead saviour. He's alive. The Holy Spirit comes in us. You know, it's not about not offending people. We don't, we don't want to become mindless zombies who just sing the words on the screen and just say the right things at the right times and repeat what other people say but not really understand it ourselves because the Holy Spirit hasn't done anything in us and given us that life. It just makes us into clones. You know, there's too many religious clones. There's too many people who, who go along to, to, to church buildings and they, they just live their lives by saying, oh, well, okay, of course, if we come here, then we don't do this and we don't, we don't drink and we don't, uh, we don't uh, watch TV and we don't do this and we don't do that and the other. And everyone just becomes a clone. Oh, is, is it all right? Is it all right if we, uh, if, if we, if we have this thing? If, is it all right if we, uh, if we have the internet? I'm not sure now. Is, is, uh, new things come along. We need to ask that question. What's, the, what's everyone else doing? Not about that. That's just religion. That's dead. It's lifeless. And if unbelievers come in and see that, what are they seeing? In, in, when we're trying not to offend, what are they seeing? Nothing. Nothing. They're not seeing anything. They're not going to go away and say, God was there. They're going to wait and say, oh, thank goodness that's over. It's an hour and a half of my life. When's this guy going to shut up? <laughs> that's, not, that's not what we're about. You know, it can slip into so many things. Weddings. We can think, oh, weddings. Oh, let's tone it down a bit. Got some unbelievers coming in. Got some non-Christian friends. Worship time. Mm. Well, we better keep our hands in our pockets. We definitely better not pray out. We definitely, definitely better not prophesy. Who says? Who says that in a wedding we cannot pray out? People who are, I, I can tell people now who are, who are going to get married. They're probably thinking, oh, no, don't say this. <laughs> don't encourage them in this. Sorry, I am doing. Why not? Why not at a wedding have people saying, yes, God is amazing and these two people who are part of our church are getting married and that is a symbol of, it's a foretaste of what it's going to be like for us and God and it's amazing and they're going to have a great time tonight and that's a symbol as well and, and, and a foretaste and we're just going to celebrate with them and oh God, you're amazing, we're going to pray out and we're going to prophesy and there's life there. People won't go away and just go, I oh, don't know about that, I'm hanging about for the photo. The, the, do you know what I mean? We're a people who are called to have the life of God in us. We want people to see God, not a tamed down version of God. 1 Corinthians 14 and, and, and 20, verse 24, 1 Corinthians 14. Paul's writing to the Corinthians. He's, um, some people take this passage and twist it around. People do it with old passages, don't they, to fit in with what they think. Uh, Paul says about, um, earlier on, he says about tongues. He says, oh, if the, if the, in verse 23, if the whole church comes together and everyone speaks in tongues, and some who do not understand, or some unbelievers come in, will they not say that you're out of your mind? Okay? So some people take that verse 
and say, oh, right, so better not speak in tongues. These are the people who don't like things happening, don't like the Holy Spirit moving in meetings. Paul's saying we shouldn't speak in tongues. No, he's not. He's not saying we shouldn't speak in tongues. He's saying if you speak in a tongue, it needs to be interpreted because people then can understand what is prayed out. And it's fantastic, and it lifts things. Christina, well done this morning for speaking out in tongues. I think someone else did as well. Uh, was it Anne? I don't know. Uh, well done, whoever it was. Because um, she speaks out in tongues, and then someone interprets, and you're just thinking, yeah, God's here. In fact, I think that was the interpretation, wasn't it? Arnold brought the interpretation. He said, you know, I came into this meeting, and I thought, oh, it's, it's a meeting, and then suddenly God's here. Yeah, that's what it's about. Suddenly, God's here. He goes on, Paul, in verse 24. If an unbeliever or someone who doesn't understand comes in while everyone is prophesying, another gift which Paul is encouraging in meetings, he will be convinced by all that he is a sinner and will be judged by all and the secrets of his heart will be laid bare. And so he will fall down and worship God, exclaiming, God is really with you. That's what Paul's wanting the meetings to be like. He's saying, great, you've got the tongues thing. Actually, let's bring a bit of order to it. Let's bring some interpretation. Let's not just have tongue, 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 tongue. So everyone's thinking, what's going on? He says, but prophesy as well. Come on, come on, church, prophesy. Be stirred in it. I want everyone to prophesy, he says. Because, because people will come in. I mean, apart from the fact it will build up the church. But people will come in and say, God's here. And they'll fall down and they'll worship God. It's not going to be dull. It's not going to be boring. That is what we want our meetings to be like as we launch these two congregations. Jesus burst out of the tomb and he purchased us to establish his kingdom on earth. The ESV version, I don't know if you can switch to that quickly, of Acts chapter 17 and verse 6. Acts 17 and verse 6 in the ESV. I don't know why I'm looking in my NIV. It's not there. Um, so, <laughs> Paul and Silas are described. Yay! There we go. Paul and Silas. Um, this is referring to, and the, um, they drag Jason and some of the brothers before the authorities, shouting, uh, "These men who have turned the world upside down have come here also." They're described. Maybe it wasn't Paul and Silas. Anyway, whoever it was, it was the disciples. It was, um, it was Jesus' followers. They're described as people who are these men who have turned the world upside down. Not tame, is it? These men who have turned the world upside down. That's what we're to be. We're not to be people who are just kind of on the back foot. Thinking, oh, we're, we're not in the majority. We're a bit of a subculture. Jesus didn't call us to be a subculture. He didn't call us to be, you know, in one sense, the, the early Christians, the early church were a subculture. And to Rome, the big, big powerful Rome and all the kingdom that that had. And so these, these few people are coming in, and, and, but they're not like on the back foot. They're not thinking, oh, I hope, I, hope we get a, I hope we get an invitation. I hope we get an invitation to come and speak to someone. They, they just go out there. They're out there. They're on the front foot. They're turning the world upside down. We can sit and hope that the church gets more exposure. And that's not what we're, we We can sit and think, oh, wouldn't it be great if, um, if on Songs of Praise today they had, they had Stuart Townend? He's on sometimes, you know. Oh, it'd be great if they sang some of his songs. That would be a real witness. <laughs> I won't say anything. Um, <laughs> wouldn't it be fantastic if someone like David Beckham got saved? 
Oh, he's got such power and influence. That would be such an influence to me. We're not to wait for the people who are already influential to influence things. We're the people to influence things because we're carrying the Holy Spirit with us. We're the ones to be bringing the kingdom in. We're not to sit and just hope something else happens. Oh, fantastic. Did you see that on TV? Someone on TV, someone on EastEnders said they were Christian. Fantastic. No, they'll probably turn out to be some cult member in six months' time. It's like, that's not what it's about. It's about us, the church. And we're to powerfully take hold of it. Obviously not in any sort of way of of violence or or intimidation or anything that some other religions would use to to push their view or other people used to push their view. This is to be a revelation of power, of God's power, but of love and of grace and of truth and all the things that we hear about week on week. But let's let's be encouraged. God wants to develop in us a supernatural lifestyle to equip us with weapons of warfare, to defeat evil forces, to free the captives, to bring healing to people, to bring wholeness to people. That's what Jesus did. That's what he encouraged us to do. And so we, we just need to stir ourselves, church, and say that's what we're about. Stir ourselves as we come on a Sunday morning here. Stir ourselves. Are we wanting to see God move? Are we coming saying, God, are you going to bring something through me? I'm going to worship you. I'm going to praise you. We're going to move out in the power of the Spirit. We need to take it seriously, brothers and sisters. We need to train for the battle because there's a world out there, there's a city out there that needs to be won. And people could be saying, Sheffield. Could anything good come from Sheffield? I don't know. I haven't seen it myself. I've lived here. I've lived here for 40 years. It's just getting worse and worse. There's nothing good in Sheffield. I've yet to see it. But we know we've got a message. We know we can go to people and say, come and see. Come and see. And they'll meet a God who can change their lives. They'll meet a God who can restore families. They'll meet a God who can restore neighborhoods and communities. They'll meet a God who can transform nations. That's what we're about, church. There's not as many of us as other people. But that doesn't matter. Because we've got the Holy Spirit in us. And we've got the power of God. Let's grasp hold of the kingdom. Take hold of it. Be forceful. And bring it to these people. At our workplaces, our school gates, and our playgrounds.